Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, this is your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful uh, that you are here. Uh, if, if any of you ever float in between first and second service, just know that uh, this week we actually changed, started to change the second service time to 1045. Um, I know for most of you, you come at nine, so uh, it really doesn't matter, but it also gives you a little more time to linger and talk with people. Um, we also wanted to uh, give a little more space for our kids and everything because it gets kind of cluttered up there uh, when people are coming in and out. And so the second service starts at 1045. Um, what would be really nice for the second service is like a lot of the people actually be on time today. So um, which would be really awesome. So um, anyway, uh, we're in this series uh, called Revelation, and uh, this is the sixth week of the series, and uh, we're going to be in it for probably another six or seven weeks uh, leading up to uh, Advent, but uh, we've been taking some time in this last book of the Bible. So if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, Revelation is the, the last book of the Bible, and a lot of times people just kind of get centered on uh, this is trying to make predictions and see how this thing's going to end. And is it about, you know, what's going to happen in the end? Yeah, there's a piece of that, of course. But uh, what we've been doing every single week is, is trying to get us to refocus on really the, the real point of uh, Revelation when John writes. And uh, the real point is this, to stay grounded, the gospel works. To stay grounded, the gospel works. We've said that every single week, and we will say it every single week in the future. To stay grounded, uh, the gospel uh, works. Um, that that message is so important throughout Revelation because um, as that begins to get played out for us, we start understanding, man, things can get crazy, things can feel overwhelming, fear can build inside of people, and this is happening now within our culture, and this is why this, this book is so like uh, why, why it fits into uh, our present day circumstances so well because um, in the same way uh, that people back 2,000 years ago were facing um, some kind of persecution, facing some kind of fear, there was political upheaval, there was a lot of things going on. This letter is written in the midst of that. And right now we're in the letters to the churches, in particular uh, to uh, the, the church of Thyatira today. Uh, but these, this letter was written to Christians Okay, and so uh, it's not that if you're a non-Christian, you can't get something out of it. You, you can, but, but really, uh, when these letters are written in there, they're, they're, John is speaking to the Christians at this time and challenging them and, uh, and encouraging them in one way, but also challenging them uh, in another way. And part of why uh, we're doing this uh, series right now is... Uh, Obviously, the debates have already started, but uh, we're about to be in another kind of political season. And, uh, you know, in 2016, I felt like uh, what was startling when it, when it happened was, was I feel like, oh, I was like, oh, our church was not prepared for what 2016 actually brought. And Christians were not prepared in, in general. And, and so we, we took some time after that to kind of like push on some things. And 2020, we tried to get a little bit better at it. And, uh, and then this go around, I'm like, hey, we just got to get ahead of this uh, a little bit more and kind of push into this. And this letter of Revelation is actually one of the best ones to, to read, to begin to understand how we're supposed to view this stuff and, and, to, and ask the question, do we really believe that this whole Jesus thing works? Truly. Or are we going to live in fear? Are we going to think like all hell's breaking loose, whatever? But do we really believe that this whole gospel, this message of Jesus um, really works? Um, when I was prepping this message, 
um, this one today because we're going to build a little bit on last week's, uh, which was uh, centered around this idea of flexibility and assimilation. And normally, uh, when I put together a message, I write down about three or four pages of notes and uh, you know try and figure out like, all right, all right, where am I going to go with all this and kind of see what like is is connecting together. Uh, for this week's sermon, again, uh, this is like part two of last week. Uh, I had ten or eleven pages of notes. And, um, and, I, and I told Lacey, I was like, Lace, I, I don't know where to go with this one. Like, there's so much here, and, there's, and it's so intense. And, and I was telling her that basically, like, this is what I felt I was going to do to everything, to everything. Like, America, the church, like, myself, everything. Like, this is what, I, like, coming from this. And um, because this, when we get into this letter to Thyatira, it's, I, I want to honor the intensity of the, the passage uh, without trying to burn everything down. But there is like a sense of how harsh the language is here to understand that uh, when Jesus is speaking through John, it's like what he's writing to the church at Thyatira is, is really uh, applicable to us in the present. And it's going to make us have to wrestle with some things. Um, but there is obviously a hope at the end of this story uh, as well. And so um, just so a little catch up for you guys this guy named John Stott, uh, who is a famous theologian who passed away uh, several years ago, um, when he was writing about Revelation in the letters to the churches, he actually wrote this down uh, as kind of like what the encouragement was and the challenge was for all the churches. He said, hey, and these are the seven that we've been going through, and again, we're going to go through other parts of Revelation too, but to Ephesus, he was like, hey, love is the focus to Smyrna, suffering, uh, Pergamum, truth, Thyatira, which is where we are today, is holiness. Um, next week, Sardis, authenticity, Philadelphia, mission, and then Laodicea, wholeheartedness. And so those are kind of the focus points with each one of these. And so uh, today is this idea of holiness, um, this idea of holiness that is going to be uh, a really big deal at, at the end of this message. And so um, here's what I want you to actually do. I want you to take out a phone or if you're taking notes on your, uh, on, uh, if you write notes, whatever. Um, I want, I, I'm just going to give you guys a, a little quiz, okay? And so you can write this down uh, on your phone, write down the answer. You don't have to show anyone next to you or anything like that. I want you to write down the answer to what is God's holiness. I'm serious. I want you to actually write, if you, if you can't write anything, that's fine. But if someone were to come up to you and say, what is God's holiness? What does that even mean? What, what would you write down? What would you say? I just want to give you a second to do that. Sometimes it's really good for us, and I'm actually going to do this more often in my sermons, but I want us to like feel, sometimes like we do know stuff, sometimes we don't, sometimes we wrestle with different things, but to feel like, what, what would I actually say about God's holiness? Like, what does that actually, actually mean? And so um, that's what we're going to talk about today, and that's going to be the, the challenge. And again, I want to build on uh, last week where we talked about the tension between flexibility and assimilation because that is present here uh, today as well. Um, one of the kind of foremost scholars in the book of Revelation, uh, he said this about the book itself. He said, Revelation is a manifesto against civil religion and a summons to uncivil worship and witness. And so he's like, listen, this whole thing is like 
there's a civil religion, there's something that's going on, it's something that's really difficult um, in this blending that begins to happen with the, uh, the divine and uh, what's kind of present before us. And uh, he's like, there's, we, we've got to understand that what, what, what governments try to do and what cultures try to do and empires try to do all the time is let's have this blend with the, the spiritual and the humane and, and the spiritual and the political. And, and man, it's a dangerous, slippery slope to go down. And, uh, and, and it happens all the time. And so what Gorman says is like, man, this is a, when we read Revelation, it's actually a manifesto to, to resist all of it and to be aware of it and have like a sober-mindedness to how we see uh, the world uh, around us. And so this church at Thyatira, this city of Thyatira, was one of the lesser-known uh, cities in the Roman Empire. It was significant in the sense that it was known for all of its metals, meaning like copper and bronze and, and some gold and some different things like that. And uh, they had all these trade guilds. And so these trade guilds were interesting because uh, they were kind of like modern-day unions. And they were concerned about workers' rights to some degree and workers' pay, um, but they're also like super spiritual. So to be in a trade guild uh, was your whole economic and social network was associated with it. So no matter what you did, you had to be in these trade guilds. If you were not in one of the, one of the guilds, uh, you were not able to actually uh, grow a business. You were not able to uh, interact with people uh, in the right kind of way. You didn't have the social network that you would have if you were actually involved in the guild, right? And so you begin to see that uh, these guilds were incredibly important. But part of the other reason that these guilds were, were uh, such a... Um, uh, core component to the city was that's where they did also a lot of worship. So they would have these meals and uh, even with some of these guilds they would have these chants and they would have these pledges of allegiance to the Roman Empire. They would have these meals where they would try to bless the gods and kind of uh, um, worship the gods and sacrifice to the gods in these meals. And, and what was happening was these Christians who were part of the guilds before they met Jesus were now faced with this incredibly difficult decision of how do I stay flexible in this? Or what does it mean to assimilate in this? Because I used to do this, and, and, and now, man, this, this feels really sticky. This, this feels like it's a blending of things that, that maybe shouldn't be there. And so John is actually uh, writing into this. One of the top gods of Thyatira was Apollo and uh, was on the coins. And Apollo was known as one of the sons of God. And so you'll, you'll see that uh, as well here in a second. So uh, Revelation chapter 2. Starting in verse 18, it says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God. All right, that's incredibly important. And uh, you'll see there it's a capital S and a capital G, even when it's translated. Uh, because that language, Son of God, was used for the emperor, but it was also used for someone like uh, Apollo, like one of the lower G gods. And so even right off the top here, it's interesting because we can like, just read over this sometimes and we don't realize what we're reading but when, when John writes this, he's saying, Jesus, the, the Son of God, right? And he says, this, whose, eye, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze, which is tying into the metals of Thyatira. But uh, when he calls him the Son of God, here's what John, John is actually doing here. He is separating Jesus from all other gods. He is saying that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is. Like you can, you can say there are all these ways to get to divinity and they, and they all like sound the same or they all like seem like they're the same and they all maybe cross over in these different kind of religious beliefs and all the civil religion and all sort of stuff. And John's like, no, 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 no. I want you to know that to discover truth and discover the reality of the div divine, you can only get there through Jesus. 
and that's it. And so it's this big separation point. And it seems casual in the title, but what he's really doing, he's making this big, bold claim that it's Jesus and only Jesus. There's no other way to, to go about this. And so he continues on. Um, and also he's just, for those of you that care, he's referencing Daniel chapter 10 and 12. He's referencing Psalm 2, um, which John does uh, so frequently in Revelation, where he's, he's taking these, these older stories in the Old Testament and he's bringing them back into the kind of this, 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 uh, this new era. And he's like, man, it all culminates with this reality and the truth of Jesus. Verse 19, he says, this is Jesus speaking. I know all the things you do. And I want to pause here for a second uh, because when it comes to this is Jesus speaking, uh, in some of your translations, if you have a physical Bible, um, and this will do this on your phones too, but it'll, it'll show it as red letters. And it's fascinating that if I were to go around to most Christians, I'd be like, hey, where do we have Jesus speaking? Where do, everyone's going to point to the what? The four what? Gospels, right? Which makes total sense. Makes total sense. What's fascinating that here is like these are also red letters, that Jesus is, is speaking. And he, when we see in Revelation, he speaks with a level of intensity that sometimes we don't actually see to its fullest extent um, at moments in the Gospels. And we see like, well, hold on a second. It's like this challenge, like Jesus is coming directly for his church. For anyone who says that they're a believer. He's coming directly for those communities. And so it's important to take that in. So Jesus says this, and this is all encouraging what he's saying here. He's like, I know what you do, meaning like I know your actions, like I see you. He's like, I've seen your love, I've seen your faith, I've seen your service, uh, your patient endurance, which is you know, your resilience in this per- at times of persecution, and I see your constant improvement in all of these things, meaning you're, you're growing, you're growing, like you're taking steps in this discipleship, like you're, you're doing well, like it's really good, and I see all of this in you, right? Um, how many of you would be excited if Jesus said that about you, right? Like, I see your faith, I see your love, I see your sacrifice, I see all these things, and man, I see you're resilient, I see that you're growing, and you're like, yes, Jesus, yes, this is wonderful, right? And it sounds great, so it's, it's really good. There's an encouragement to be had here, and then he says this. <laughs> But, uh, a long time ago I did a series, Best Butts in the Bible, and um, this would not have been one of the best butts. And so he says, but, but, I have this complaint against you. And in this moment you start seeing like, oh, hold on a second. You can be in this spot where you're growing. And you're doing good things, and it's good, and, it, and it's good, and we should celebrate it and acknowledge and be encouraged in it, but also aware that there can be a slippery slope. Also aware that, and sometimes we can get into the space of like, I'm doing all these things, but but we're not aware of the ways that maybe we're letting some other things go that are actually really destructive. And so, um, what Jesus is kind of coming at, he's like. Yes, keep doing all those things, and I'm encouraging you in all those things, and that's wonderful, and I want to celebrate, but I also want to make you aware. He's like, you're per- uh, permitting that woman, that Jezebel, anyone in here named Jezebel? <laughs> right? 
There's been, like, no one, when, when you're trying to name kids, no one's like, you know, we should name him Jezebel. That'd be really great, right? Like, this, this name Jezebel has, like, withstood the test of time of, like, no one should be named that, right? And so um, Jezebel uh, was a, a queen um, that you find with King Ahab uh, back in the Old Testament. And uh, she was incredibly manipulative. Uh, she uh, introduced uh, this new god into the community uh, named Baal and uh, really convinced a lot of people of a different kind of worship and led people astray. Um, but she did it in a way, um, and she was pretty ruthless, but she, she also did it in a way of convincing God's people to do certain things and, and, they were, and people were like allowing things to happen within the community and it led to a lot of sexual immorality, a lot of idolatry um, and uh, the full food thing that we'll see here. Uh, again, it led to all those things. So now this person isn't actually Jezebel, she's just being described as Jezebel. And she says, to lead my servants astray, she teaches them to commit sexual sin and eat food offered to idols. This means within those guilds. I gave her time to repent. This is so important. But she does not want to turn away from her immorality. And so I want to pause there for a second. I gave her time to repent. For all of us in this room, like God is unbelievably patient. Like unbelievably patient. Um, you know, patience is a very difficult thing. How many of you guys struggle with patience sometimes? Yeah, like you ever hear like people say, don't ever pay, pray for patience because God will give you a reason to be patient, right? Like so, um, but, but patience is so difficult, yet it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. But it's very difficult. And what's fascinating is sometimes we neglect to remember how patient God has been with us. And when we forget how patient God has been with us, it's, uh, it's easy, it's easy to be impatient with somebody else, with their story, with their journey, with, man, I wish they would be further along, I wish they would stop doing, I wish, and I get all those things, like, I do that too, but, like, how often do you think God was like, I wish you would stop, I wish you would stop, I wish you would see this differently, I, I wish you would, would, would begin to see your life like the way I, I see your life. And, and we start seeing this, and it's like, so God's like, hey, I have given her time to repent, and she just won't do it. And so there does come a time, there does come a time, we see this all throughout the Bible, there does come a time, it's not that the patience of God runs out, it's just that God has to come and do something, because guess what, this, uh, we can abuse the patience of God. And so sometimes to get our attention, it's like, some things have to happen. And we don't like that part of the story. None of us do. None of us woke up this morning and were like, mm, God, would you bring your vengeance and wrath upon me today? Because I just can't seem to get it. Right? Like that's, not, like, that's not how we ever pray or how we ever think about it. But there is a reality that there does come a point where God's going to speak and he's going to interact, and, and, and there's a discipline that can happen within that. And as we think back to this time, it's like, all right, so these guilds are happening, and man, they're growing, and they're doing seemingly all these good things, but, but it seems like there's a portion of this church that has gone, uh, gone along with this Jezebel, has gone along with her teachings, has gone along with uh, uh, the way that she has convinced them to like, it's okay if you keep doing that. It's all right, don't worry about it. It's okay in kind of like letting it go and letting it go and, and letting it go. And, and the question that I was wondering if, if God was simply doing this, 
Why are you going along with us? And I wonder how many times, whether it's in our friendships, and I don't care how old or young you are, I wonder how many times like, God looks and is like, why are you still going along with that? Why are you letting that slide for yourself? Why have you gone down that little slippery slope in your, your friendships or who you're dating or in your home or at work? Like, why do you continue to just let it go and just go along with it? And you might respond, but God, look at all these other things I'm doing. He's like, I get it. I see it. I see it, but, but I have this against you. And I want you to be aware. Like, why do you still let it go? Like, you see the pain it's causing, you see the hurt it's causing, you see the things that are developing within it. Like, like why do we do this? And what's interesting is when you think about this slippery slope relationally, this can happen communally, this can happen individually, um, this can happen kind of corporately. Uh, you know, what was, was happening within these guilds, uh, again, in, in the environment that these these Christians in Thyatira are in, they're in this Roman Empire. And one of the ways that um, things got really fractured, we good, Mark? Okay. One of these things that, um, the ways that things got really fractured, we're just going to stop and pray for just a second here, y'all. God, we pray for our Kelsey here and um, just pray to her body will find rest and comfort and calm and peace as she's just working through this right now. In your name, amen. Um, one of the ways that there's a blending of uh, and things get really convoluted is what happens within the Roman Empire was uh, they were trying to always blend the spiritual and the divine with what was happening to them as a community. And that's why they were always sacrificing food and uh, worshiping idols and doing all these different things. And uh, this is uh, later on in the Roman Empire after Revelation, uh, this guy named Constantine came around. Uh, and this was in the early 300s. And he did something. He said, this one day he said that he had this vision in the clouds where he saw this cross. And he believed that God was speaking to him and saying that, that um, he was going to be uh, victorious in battle. And so in that moment, Constantine has this conversion experience to, to become a Christian. And uh, he becomes, he's emperor of, of Rome uh, at that point in time. He becomes one of the most bloodthirsty, violent emperors there ever was. And Constantine gets into this place, but here's what he did. He, he started merging all of these different things. It's like we celebrate the fact that, man, he came to a faith in Jesus and it actually made it a lot easier for people, for other people in the Roman Empire to come to a faith in Jesus. Um, but another thing happened alongside of that, which was just fascinating because there was this other part, there was this kind of slippery slope where this tension with flexibility and assimilation started coming into play. He started putting this Christian cross on like uh, on weapons, on um, on shields, on uh, things that uh, soldiers were wearing on their uniforms. Um, he was putting like these crosses everywhere, and he was saying we, that God is on our side, that God has blessed Rome, 
And, and so he would go and he would kill all these people. And he'd be like, it's, God's on our side. Like, I just, and then he did all these other things where previously where, say, Christians were not allowed to be in these rooms um, uh, where, like, big important things were, were happening and big decisions. Now, all of a sudden, there's this, this uh, uh, older gentleman who was writing about during the Roman time. He was saying, like, he was taken back one day when he walked into the office where Constantine was, and he saw all of these bishops. He's like, that never used to be the case. There was this, and, and, and on the front end, it seems like, oh, that's okay. It's like now, it's like, man, we've got these bishops and these people who are Christians that are kind of associated now with, it, with these power, uh, these people in power. So now make better decisions were, were happening. But he's like, but I was looking around and the bishops were like lounging and eating and drinking with all these powerful people. And it was interesting. He's like, and I was taken back because that's never the way it used to be. And Constantine, uh, later on, uh, uh, he dies, and then uh, this um, uh, Theodosius comes along after him, and he takes everything to this whole new level. And, uh, and so uh, between these two, what they started saying was, look at all of our victories. Look at what's happened. Clearly, God is on our side. They would go to, um, uh, they would go and they would say, God bless our military. God do this. God do and, and they were merging all of these different things that was like, Man, it doesn't seem like we should be merging uh, all this divine, like, spirit-led Jesus stuff with, with all this political stuff. It doesn't make any sense, but yet they kept doing it. Um, soon at the end of the 300s, um, you would actually get killed. You could be executed for not being a Christian. And it's like, but it started off as like, wasn't it this vision? And, it start, and, and what is it? The, the message, when he, when he started, like, there was this slippery slope that started to happen between this flexibility and assimilation to everything and the tension that was there, and, and, and people just went along with it. And the Christians there just went along with the language, went along with, with all this stuff, and it seemed like, well, it feels good, right? And it's like, but, man, it got super messy and violent and ugly. Eventually, the Roman Empire gets turned uh, upside down. But they were demanding people to have a Christian faith. They were, they were, they were having these rules within the empire, like this is based on scripture and all these different things. And it just got so messy because what started to happen was just like it did in Thyatira. It was like, man, you, you see all these things that seem good, but it's like, why are you going along with this? It doesn't make any kind of sense. Now, let me ask you this. Let's go fast forward 2,000 years. Do we have that problem in our country? You know, when you think about language that's been used repeatedly over time, it's like, it sounds good on the front end, but man, this gets so messy so quickly. Uh, you know, a few decades ago when Ronald Reagan was president, he made this big speech that people always talk about, about being like a city on a hill, right? Which is like, that's what Jesus talked about, what his church and his followers would be. But he used it as a way to talk about like, this is what America is. And it's a way to kind of twist scripture, and that twisting of the scripture and blending into somehow this nation, it's like, oh, it gets, it gets messy and ugly. And on the front end, it seems good. And I'm not even saying he had bad intention, but, like, but it, it seems good. But it's like, that's not how this works. And it never works that way. Um, recently, uh, President Biden talked about, he used uh, a passage from Isaiah um, when we were going in, when America was going into something uh, for war. And he's, like, and he's like, just like in Isaiah, send me. And it's like, no, 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 that is not what that passage is about. 
It is not what it's talking about. It is not like it's the misuse of scripture and this blending of things start happening. And you don't even realize it. Sometimes it feels okay and it's like you don't, but it's like, but all this blending, it's like it doesn't make sense. And there's a, a slippery slope that begins to happen all around it. In 1954, um, uh, under God gets put in the Pledges of Allegiance. And, and it's like, is it bad to have it in there? I'm not saying it's bad, but it's like, but you see like the blending of all of this stuff, it's, this, it's the civil religion that gets created and Revelation is speaking against it constantly. Time and time again, it's like, this is not how the kingdom of God works. This gets really messy. And listen, in, in Jesus, like, when the church doesn't stand up to this stuff, when the church isn't sober-minded, when the church isn't uh, aware of what's happening, it's like, at some point, Jesus is going to be like, ah, I see what you're doing. This part is good, but I have this against you. And we see this time and time again um, when, uh, I've used this example before, when during the Iraq war, uh, you know, Iraqi Christians were killed uh, by bombs. And on some, of those, on some of those briefings, there were Bible verses on some of the briefings to go bomb certain areas of Iraq that killed Christians, right? And it's, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's messy. It's complicated. It's, it can be ugly and it, it gets twisted. Even when you think about our system uh, in, in general, it's like, man, there's some, some good things to our system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? The, the ability for us to vote to change something is a very good thing. Right? I mean, think about this. If all the Christians in, in America got together and like, you know what? We're not going to vote for anyone that doesn't have character and integrity. First of all, people would be like, well, what are we going to do? Right? I mean, like, the, but, but as Christians, we technically have that option. Can you imagine what would change? So it's pretty cool that we have that, that option if we choose to engage it. And so there's some, like, really good things. But then it's also complicated. It's, it's messy. Like, when they do research on, on um, like, uh, so often... Uh, People associate Christianity with the Republican Party, right? Like that's been part of the, the narratives been put out there. And then, so this stuff is like all just so, so messy and complicated. I mean, think about this. If, uh, uh, when they did research around like who votes Republican, like they do all this stuff, right? And they kind of label it all out. And then they did something um, a couple years ago where they asked this question about essentially those who are like blatantly racist and they don't even care. Unashamedly racist. And the majority of those people vote Republican. That doesn't mean if you vote a Republican that you're racist, but I'm saying the majority of those people. So it's weird if you vote in that direction that you're voting with someone that also is like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a total racist. And you're trying to support the same person. It's, it's weird, right? And you have that piece, right? And then you're like, but on the other side, hold on a second. They did the same kind of research and like the people that are most anti-God like, and, and want religion out of everything, want God out of everything, want Jesus out of everything. Uh, when they do that, it's like the majority of them voted more progressive or, or Democrat. And so if you voted that way, you're voting with people and supporting someone that like all the anti-God people support. And it's like, it's, it's weird and it's, it's messy. And it's like on one side, you're like, man, all the racist people are over here. And then you come over this, on this side, it's like, but what about the anti-God people? It, it's weird. It's messy, and then people lose relationships over it and, and bring God into this stuff, and it's like, it's not the way it should be. It's why, how has this all happened? It's like, because things just got really conflated. Sometimes, I remember hearing, uh, I was in a conversation one time with a person who was like, man, I, it's like, the, the conservative people, they're all so, like, racist. And I'm like, okay. I was like, you voted the other way, and you support, so on that side, 
I was like, let's just talk about like abortion, for instance. I was like, you're talking about the systematic racism on this side. I was like, and then you've, you've voted this other way um, for, for people who like, one of the most systematic racial things we have in our country that ever was established was the abortion industry. And I'm like, and you voted that way, but you're complaining about racism on the other side. It's, it's messy, it's confusing, it's, it's tense, and then people probably, that's why when you all of a sudden be like, yeah, but I'm bringing my faith into this, and you're like, are we? And so it's all just like so complicated and so messy, and, and this is what like is being spoken into at this point in time. Because Jesus is like, why are you going along with all of this stuff? Why are you getting caught up in it? Like, don't you believe that my message actually begins to work? I love this quote. But Michael Gorman, he says this. The fate of the empire is certain. We currently live in an empire. The fate of America is certain. What is uncertain is the fate of those who currently participate in the cult of the empire. The more significant critique is the critique of the church, and specifically of its participation in the idolatry of the imperial cult, the civil or national religion. just more difficult and it's tense and it calls into question like what do we go along with and so he continues on as I told you about the blowtorch earlier right (laughs) this is the softer version by the way verse 22 says this therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering this is how Jesus is responding to all this and the her is the, the people that go along with this on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery. Look at the language that's starting to happen here. Look, at, look how aggressive this language is. He isn't saying, he, he's using like language of like, you're supposed to be mine, and you're cheating on me. Like, you, you're supposed to be mine, and we're supposed to be one, but what you're doing is you've decided to go out and have sex with somebody else. This is the language he's using. It's like those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. He's not talking about he's going to come in and start wiping out children. He's just saying that when it, what starts to happen is like the great suffering becomes generational. And the suffering um, that, that, that will happen will be like, man, all of this stuff in the empire, all this stuff in this, the cult of the empire, all this stuff is going to come to an end. Then all the churches will know I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. So let me ask you this question. Is there any area of your life where you're taking advantage of God's patience? And the reason why I ask that is because part of what is being addressed here He's like, man, are you going along with things? Are you just letting things go? Are, are, you, are you not pausing for a second and just seeing like, man, this stuff you're losing relationships over, your stuff you're fighting over, like all this stuff. And I get it. It's different locally than on a big scale in our country. But it's like, man, are we abusing God's patience in any kind of way? So when we think about the holiness of God, this is what it all goes back to. When John originally started, he's like, let me tell you about the Son of God. He's like, he's talking about the holiness of God. 
And when we think about holiness of God, sometimes we're like, oh, that's perfect. And it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's part of it. But here's what I want you to think about the holiness of God, because this is what it comes back to. All this stuff, like I don't, listen, in this room, there are a lot of different perspectives on anything politically or whatever. And that's wonderful. I love that. But this all goes back to the holiness of God and how we think about it. And so here's what I want us to think about with holiness of God. The holiness of God equals the transcendence beyond creation, okay? The transcendence beyond creation. There is a difference between the creator God and the creation, all right? So you can go, like we can look at one another and we can image God, like we are part of God's creation. We are not God, right? We can image God, but we, we are not God. Um, you can go out into nature and see wonderful things throughout nature, right? Which is awesome. And you see like the beauty and the creator God, like in the midst of nature, but nature is not God, okay? You can hold your animal, which is great, and you love your animal, and that's great. It's whatever, right? Your animal's not God, okay? So, so we see like there's a, there's a transcendence, there's a transcendence to who God is. If you somehow try to diminish that transcendence, you're diminishing the holiness of God. And this is where we can start to slip. The holiness of God equals change in our lives because of proximity to the presence of God. When we sing like, Spirit come rest on us, we're like, we're asking the presence of God to be, to be near. And when we're near to the presence of God, like our lives begin to change. That's part of the holiness. And then the recognition of God's power. Recognition of God's power. Um, Tim Mackey, who does the Bible Project, and if you never watched some of the Bible Project videos, you should. It's so good. Um, he talks about the holiness of God being like the sun. When you're far enough from the sun, you, you, you get a little tan, right? And it feels good. You get vitamin D, and it, it's like really good. You feel the warmth of the sun. You're like, oh, I, I love this, right? Like especially coming out of winter, you're like, ooh, I love to have a little base tan. You want to take, like everyone's like, want to take staff pictures? Never in December, right? Always in like May. Right, like, so, so we're, we're understanding, it's like, oh, the, the sun's coming out, and it's like, man, I love this sun. What happens if you get too close to the sun? You die, <laughs> right? And so what we see in this moment is like, man, there's a power to the reality of who God is. That's why when, uh, in Proverbs, it talks about the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is that? It's the, the holiness of who God is. And so John ends with this. Laura, you can come up. But I also have this message for the rest of you. For the rest of you. The reason why that's so important is because you know what? There were people who were not going along with it. There were people who decided, I'm not going to do this. I want to be sober-minded in how I see this world around me. He says, who have not followed this false teaching or the deeper truths as they call them, the depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have, to what you have until I come. Tell all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. To them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them with clay pots. There was this old um, tradition in the Roman Empire where they would write their names of their enemies on clay pots and smash them publicly in front of everybody. And so he's doing an analogy off of this. He's not saying that like all of a sudden if you do this the right way, we get to kill people. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying that, man, when you're part of the kingdom of God, you, you become part of the victorious group. And all that's trying to be against that, all the enemies against that, and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about the spiritual realm. He's like, man, you become victorious over all these things. 
says, they will have the same authority I received from my Father. I'll give them the morning star. That's a whole sermon on itself. Um, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So I just want us to pause. We're going to take communion here in just a second. And, uh, but I want to have us pause here because... Um, It's easy just to be negative about an empire or about our city or about the ills that we see of things. But that's actually never the point. The point is the holiness of God. The point is, man, am I abusing the patience? The the point is understanding that the gospel works and that is the challenge. So I want to ask you guys to take out your communion cups. um, If you have them, if you need one, just raise your hand. We'll have some people... So go ahead and hold the bread and the juice open. God, this, um, it can be really tense and um, really difficult to figure out the difference between flexibility and assimilation. Um, It can be really difficult um, to know how we can, all of us in this room have been impacted by the, the merging of kind of the divine and spiritual with the political nature of just where we live. And God, I pray that we always go back to this, though. Your holiness and the reality of what we're celebrating here and what we're remembering here, that this bread that we hold in our hands represents your body being broken for us. 
in the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of feeling abandoned, in the midst of feeling lonely, in the midst of feeling persecuted, in the midst of things seeming like there's no way out, will you remember your body being broken for us? And so go ahead and eat the bread. And this juice represents your blood being shed for us, for the forgiveness of sin, but also for establishing a new kingdom because of a new hope that we have in you. Go ahead and drink the juice. So God, um, we just pause here and reflect on your holiness, your transcendence, your power, and the transformative nature that it is when we're in your proximity. God, I pray that uh, we've all got opinions in how things should work and all of that. But God, I pray that we'll be a group of people who uh, can disagree well, um, can live in tension well, can... Um, have different perspectives, but, but that we, one thing that we don't do is ever veer off from the gospel or the desire to um, build your kingdom here. And, and that's always what's more important. And we keep going back to that, keep going back to that, and keep going back to that. We've got to pray that um, we'll be very sensitive um, to your patience. We love grace and mercy and forgiveness and that's always available. Um, but God, that we also just have a, be acutely aware of um, some areas in our lives that maybe we've started to assimilate to the culture. God, we thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your discipline, um, for your love for us. And we give all this in your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. A um, couple of things before you guys get out of here. Uh, one, um, if you're new, we'd love to meet you uh, when you leave here today in the info area. Um, two, um, I just want to make you guys aware the share offering is coming up. Um, October 29th is when we kick it off, um, where we ask everyone to just give one day's wage. Um, that's it. And uh, we take all that money that comes in on that day. And we give all of it away to uh, our partners. This is an above and beyond offering that we take. And uh, you know, last year, I think it was 280000 I think, or somewhere around there, um, that we were able to just give away to partners. And, uh, and so we'll do one day's wage. is coming up October 29th. It'll start. Um, we usually like, keep it open for about a week or two. And, uh, and then we bless all of our partners doing incredible work throughout the city and some throughout the world. And uh, so I just want to make that aware um, your hearts of generosity. Um, if you guys would like prayer, we'll have folks on either side um, willing to pray with you. Um, have a great rest of your Sunday. Love you all so much. We'll see you next week. I'm happy to be